This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The way we live is changing, and key trends from the latest census tell us Zoomers are driving the change. And Speaking of driving, a survey singling out older drivers as a danger on the road sparks a storm of criticism. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Judges in Portugal were guilty of sexual discrimination in a medical compensation case when they decided that the importance of sex diminished because of a woman's age. That was the ruling of Europe's human rights court in the case of 50-year-old Maria Moraes. She claimed that medical negligence during botched gynecological surgery in 1995 left her unable to have normal sex. She won her compensation case, but the hospital then won an appeal with the argument that sex was not as important because of her age. The case caused a furor in Portugal before the Paris court sided with Moraes and ordered Portugal to pay compensation for damages, costs, and any expenses she incurred because they acted with prejudice. There's new information on the demographics of voting in the United States. According to Pew Research, baby boomers no longer make up the majority of voters in the U.S. presidential elections, with millennials and Gen Xers casting 69.6 million votes last November. That was the first time in many decades that Zoomers made up less than half of all votes. However, it's important to note that boomers still remain the number one demographic when it comes to actual voter turnout. This is the latest viral video featuring older women dancing. A group of Australian female lawn bowlers aged 72 to 82 put their own unique spin on Beyonce's hit song, All the Single Ladies. It was the centerpiece of a campaign to save their favorite lawn bowling club from being demolished. In addition to a worldwide audience, the local council is said to be paying attention. Before making the video, none of the women had ever heard of Beyoncé. Comedic legend Carol Burnett is returning to the small screen. The 84-year-old icon will host the new show, A Little Help with Carol Burnett, where Carol will chat with young children between the ages of four and eight who likely have no idea who she is. They'll discuss some of life's everyday issues. Here's a taste of the program set to be released on Netflix next year. Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm I'm Carol Burnett. What's your resume? I started a little thing called the Carol Burnett Show. I haven't heard of it. 
Well, I won a few Emmys for it. I got a trophy in soccer once. You did? Everyone did. Oh. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Under a headline proclaiming that more than a quarter of Canadians want to keep driving beyond the age of 85, State Farm Insurance released a survey intended to highlight the dangers of older drivers behind the wheel. It said one in 10 respondents had been in a collision involving a senior citizen and that 94% believe it's important to have a conversation about giving up driving with older family members. The criticism came swiftly. I'm only 84, and I drove millions of kilometers. I just come back driving down south. In three days, I I drove 2,500 kilometers. And I think to pin the driving ability to age does not quite work out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got people in their 50s that shouldn't be driving. In fact, I think you have to be suspect of the motives of State Farm in doing that survey. Um, Are they just going to increase the rates uh, significantly for seniors? That was mild compared to the Toronto Sun editorial, which called the State Farm survey, quote, a singularly spectacular example of flawed, bigoted, and condescending public relations that stereotypes older drivers as a danger to themselves and others. I talked about it with CARP's Wanda Morris. I think it's absolutely ageist, and I I think there's absolutely reality and truth to the fact that older drivers tend to be in more severe accidents and have more fatalities, but that is because older drivers tend to be a little bit more frail physically, and so something that a 20-year-old would walk away from could put a 70-year-old in the hospital, but that doesn't mean that, per se, older drivers are less safe, and I I think this study is fear-mongering. Okay, well, the headline on their press release is that more than a quarter of Canadians want to hold on to their driver's license past 85 years of age. Now, let's face it, at the age of 85, uh, your driving skills, you know, probably aren't as sharp as they were before. It, It does seem, I mean, doesn't it seem like a good time to take extra precautions and maybe extra tests? Absolutely. And what we know from our our members and people that we've talked to is that people do self-limit their driving as they get older. As their eyesight goes, they stop driving at night or in bad weather, or as their reactions slow, they perhaps uh, give up highway driving. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with having some sort of graduated decrease in driving abilities in the same way that there's graduated increases for new drivers. But the fatal flaw in the argument is that it should happen at some arbitrary age. In fact, there's many drivers out there right now, and I'm sure you've seen some on the road too, where you go, how did that individual get their license? What we should be doing is having more tests uh, more regularly throughout drivers' lives and not trying to limit drivers arbitrarily at some particular age. The other point that the survey seems to make is the importance of having, quote, the talk with older members of the family as family members perceive that their driving is becoming unsafe. Now, that is a real issue, is it not? 
It's a critical issue. And I think it is important that, that older drivers hear that their driving is becoming unsafe. But I'm not sure. In fact, I don't believe that it's up to the family to have that talk. And when we look at the results in reality, very few drivers change their driving because of family member conversations. I think these are conversations that need to come from either the medical system or through increased testing and individuals can get objective feedback that way. Okay, well, I mean, doctors are required to report if they believe somebody's driving is unsafe. But, you know, given that if you're relatively healthy, you don't see your doctor that often and doctors are busy. I mean, isn't that putting too much of a a responsibility and an onus on a doctor who doesn't see the person and probably doesn't see them driving like a family member would? You know, it's a critical distinction, and I think doctors can do, you know, objective tests to assess people's uh, reaction times and cognitive skills, so they could uh, theoretically be placed to make those decisions, and often family members will even alert doctors to say that they think that this is a problem. But what we need is not an ad hoc system where we put this pressure on doctors. And and frankly, that puts a lot of pressure on the doctor-patient relationship. What we need instead is is systematic driving tests, and not just at 75 or 80, but periodically so that we make sure that all drivers on our roads are safe. Right now, there's extra testing starting at age 80. It's not road testing. Is that a bad idea in your opinion? I'm concerned that it's happening at an arbitrary age and you know, certainly everybody wants to keep drivers safe and on the road, but what we know from some of the tests is that people can have uh, false failures. They can get stressed because of the potential consequences of the test, and even though they're perfectly safe, drivers can, in fact, fail the test. So I don't think we've got the answers yet in terms of how we determine safety for drivers. You think there are ways that older drivers can compensate for uh, whatever their diminished abilities are? Absolutely, I do. I I think of it like the sort of veteran hockey player or football player on the field where the individual perhaps isn't as fast as they once were, but the skills that they've learned over years of playing or in the case of drivers, years of driving gives them some compensation. Also, technology is really helping. Now, we see assists that help people park or see clearly through the, the rear view so that somebody who's perhaps their net capacity is a bit diminished and they can't turn their head as quickly as they once did. Now there's technology to help them. And of course, we've all heard about the future of driverless cars, and that perhaps is the final answer. Okay, Wanda Morris, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Wanda Morris, Vice President of Advocacy at CARP. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, big changes in the way we live, and Zoomers are the driving force. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. For the first time in Canada, single-person households became the most common living arrangement, surpassing the number of couples with children, couples without children, single-parent families, and multiple-family households. That was the headline on 2016 census data released this week. The trend, like all the other key changes in the way we live, was driven by Zoomers. I drilled down with Laurent Martel, director of the Demography Division at Statistics Canada. For the first time, the most common type of households in Canada are one-person households. Usually it was household comprised of couples with children, 
but it's no longer the case. And the 2016 data show that it's now one-person household that are the most common type of household in Canada. That's a very interesting message, very interesting finding. And of course, it relates to demographic change uh, that are currently going on in the Canadian population, such as, for example, population aging. Seniors, uh, and especially senior women, are more likely to live alone than others. So it explains part of the trend that we're showing today. You're seeing more single households yes. because of the aging population. That's what, part of the explanation, yes. What is the other part of the explanation? Separation and divorce. Uh, we are seeing more people being separated and divorced, and when a couple breaks up, very often you're creating at least one one-person household, and that's also a key trend explaining why we are observing this shift in the Canadian households. And there might be another explanation as well. People are becoming more economically independent than before with the welfare state, especially women that have integrated the labor force in more greater numbers in the 1970s and 1980s. Well, even when they're retired, they have now uh, income pension, uh, so they are probably more independent on the economic side, so they can afford to live alone. What are some of the implications of uh, an older woman living on her own? It has lots of implications for the housing market. Many Canadians require smaller dwellings, smaller households. Maybe as well, when you're living alone, your consumption habits will be a bit different than, for example, a couple with kids. You mentioned divorce. It's not just divorce, but there's been a huge increase in people divorcing after many years of marriage at later ages. What kind of numbers do you have on that? Actually, we don't have numbers on this because remember that the census is kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a snapshot. It's a picture of the population at a given time. And in this case, it's May 10, 2016. So I can report the number of Canadians or the numbers of baby boomers between 15 and 70 that were uh, separated of divorce. And it's about 20%, uh, about one in five, that at the time of the census were divorced. Do you see this phenomenon increasing as the big baby boom generation gets older? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Actually, baby boomers are about between 50 and 70 right now. And we have shown with the second release of the census last May that population aging in Canada just accelerated. And this is due to the first baby boomers getting to age 65. This will continue in coming years. Up to 2031, the other cohorts of baby boomers will get to age 65. So population aging will continue in Canada. We know that. We have population projections showing that in about 15 years from now, uh, one in four Canadians could be age 65 and over and the big contributor to this large increase is the baby boom cohorts moving into old age. And with that, I mean, we would expect it's likely that the share of one-person households will continue to increase in Canada. And another reason why we can believe that is when we're looking to international comparison, we're looking for, to the situation in Europe, for example, which have, on average, older population than in Canada, we also see that the share of one-person households is greater than the share in Canada. It's about 40 to 50 percent of one-person households in Europe compared to 28 percent in Canada. The other thing I've started to hear about are baby boomers, so they're older, Mm -hmm. who are moving back with their parents who are even older so they can take care of their own parents. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any evidence of that? 
What I can say about this is from the census, again, it's a household-based census. Canada-wide, there's about 2.8% of people between age 50 and 69, so basically the baby boomers. Only 2.8% are actually living with their parents, and of course their parents would be much older. But there's some interesting uh, regional variation. It's higher, for example, in Ontario and British Columbia. It's about 3% in these two provinces. And we know from 2011 census that these two provinces also have higher cultural diversity. So it might be related to some specific immigrant population that are choosing this living arrangement more often than others. And any other thoughts? Household comprised of couples without children are increasing much faster than household comprised of couples with kids. And part of the explanation to that is the baby boomers seeing their kids leaving home in great numbers these days. And so it feeds into the growth of these household comprised of couples without children. Can you give me specific numbers on that? Yes. The growth of couples without children is about 7.5%. And the growth of couples with children is about only 2.3% in Canada. So you see a large difference between the two. And we expect this trend to continue. I think a lot of boomers, Zoomers, will find that as a relief because (laughs) the other thing that we've seen lately is that kids stay at home with their parents longer and longer because it takes them longer to launch. Exactly. Uh, Yes, you're right. And we have actually a document released today about these young adults living with their parents. And the story is really uh, related to Ontario in this case, uh, mostly Toronto uh, and Oshawa, the large urban areas around Toronto, where uh, in Toronto and Oshawa, for example, one in two basically young adults are staying with their parents. And this proportion has been growing since 2001. Are both things growing? There are more empty nests and there are more adult children living at home with their parents? There there are more empty nesters, but maybe they're becoming empty nesters a bit later in their lives, though. That's probably the link between the two. Do you see this continuing, that the baby boomers will continue to drive big changes in the way we live here in Canada? Well, they're the largest cohort in Canada still. They're definitely contributing to changes in the Canadian society. That's for sure. Okay, Laurent Martel, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Laurent Martel of Statistics Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, one of the immortals celebrates a birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. In Motown, an exhibit's opened at the Detroit Institute of Arts as part of a community-wide reflection on July 1967. It's called Art of Rebellion and features 34 paintings, sculptures, and photographs, mostly by African-American artists working in the 60s and 70s. It runs through October 22nd. Now underway in Edinburgh, the largest annual festival of visual art in the UK, as the city celebrates its 70th anniversary as a festival city. And alongside, it's the 70th anniversary of the granddaddy of Fringe Festival, started by artists excluded from the annual Edinburgh Art Festival. In Amsterdam, the Edward Planting Gallery is presenting Legends Past with a selection of portraits of the legends we've lost this year, among them Muhammad Ali, Chuck Berry, David Bowie, and Sir Roger Moore. It runs through the end of September. And on the English Channel in East Sussex, it's the annual Glyndebourne Festival. The highlight, the world premiere of Australian composer Brett Dean's new operatic adaptation of Hamlet. 
I'm Bob Comsick with the International Arts Datebook. This week, the one and only Tony Bennett celebrated his 91st birthday. He was born in Astoria, New York, on August 3rd, 1926. He's one of music's most enduring talents, with a career that has spanned over seven decades. And in true Zoomer fashion, he's showing no signs of slowing down. At the age of 91, he still jet-sets around the world to sing in some of the most prestigious concert halls, and his audiences are made up of fans both new and old, thanks in part to a platinum-selling album he made with pop star Lady Gaga a few years back. Right now, we'll hear a track from their album, Cheek to Cheek. It's a cover of the Cole Porter classic, Anything Goes. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked down as something shocking now. That was Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga with Anything Goes. Bennett celebrated his 91st birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to hear about a new measurement that's more important than the number on the scale. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.